This is the Big Issues Better Pod. Acting today for a better tomorrow. Even if we live just as long as a typical mammal species, um, that would be 700,000 years still to go, then future people would outnumber us by about 1,000 to 1. So if there are impacts we have on like future generations, then uh, they're like really large in scale just because so many people would be affected. If you've been listening to BetterPod over the last few months, it won't come as a surprise that we think future people matter. So we were very excited when we heard that one of the most important philosophers working today had written a book arguing for long-termism. Effectively, why we should and how we can act today for a better tomorrow. William McCaskill's What We Owe the Future is only just out, but it's already shaping ethical debates around the world. Stephen Fry called it a book of great daring, clarity, insight and imagination, while Joseph Gordon-Levitt said he was moved to tears by its optimism. William McCaskill wants to change how you think about tomorrow and how you act today. On today's Better Pod, he tells us why. But before we hear from Will, just a quick update from us. This is our final Better Pod interview in this series. Thanks for joining us in Series 1. If you've missed any of the previous chats, they're all still available, so please do continue to share them. We hope you find them a useful starter for how you can act today for a better tomorrow. Next week, we'll be back with a best of compilation in which Sophie, Jade and Kat will share their favourite insights and calls to action from Series 1 of Better Pod. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. I'm Laura Kelly, Future Generations Editor at The Big Issue. I lead a team of exciting young journalists from backgrounds that are traditionally underrepresented in the media. I'm Kat and I'm a part of the Future Generations team. The past six months has given me such a huge opportunity. I don't think I would have gotten experience like this if it wasn't for The Big Issue, especially coming from kind of a lower class background. So Kat, tell me what you thought about our chat with Will. I think for me, the most interesting part is when he spoke about the advancement of AI and how it could actually be a real threat to humanity. When people think about AI taking over, they usually associate it with, um, you know, fancy sci-fi. But the fact that he thinks this idea is a real threat for future generations is just really interesting. Hello, Will. Thanks for joining Kat and me on BetterPod. Thanks so much for having me on. So every week on BetterPod, we talk about how to act today for a better tomorrow. But we actually haven't asked the question yet, why? That is, of course, the starting point for your new book. So tell us, why should our listeners care about future humans as well as the ones we have now? Uh, I think the key idea is just that it's actually very common sense, morally speaking, that um, future people matter. So when we dispose of like nuclear waste or when we think about climate change, then the idea that some of these impacts and harms will come, you know, centuries, sometimes thousand years into the future, like that's very intuitively like a good thing, like important to think about. Or if you imagine like, suppose you you could prevent a pandemic and it was going to occur in a hundred years or a thousand years, but you knew for sure that like, a thousand people were going to die for it or a hundred thousand people were going to die for it you know would it really matter what time 
it came? And I, th- I think the answer is no. Like, as long as you're sure about the impact, then um, morally, it seems like harm is harm just whenever that occurs. So I think that aspect is like quite kind of morally intuitive. Um, and then the second aspect is just how many people there are um, ahead of us. So even if we live just as long as a typical mammal species, um, that would be 700,000 years still to go, then future people would outnumber this by about 1,000 to 1. So if there are impacts we have on like future generations, then uh, they are like really large in scale just because so many people would be affected. You use this kind of a thought experiment in the book to make it kind of tangible for us where we are imagining literally living through all of the lives of all of humanity, which is, um, I thought was really striking. So I, th- I think you had us as kind of like as though we were teenagers in the in the course of human development. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So I give the analogy with us being teenage with humanity as a whole being like a teenager and that's in two ways one is just that most of our life is still ahead of us so in terms of the big decisions facing a teenager like what's the most important aspect of the most important decisions is how that impacts the whole course of the rest of their life like what career they pursue what um values they uh live by um and you know whether they take like really risky behaviors that uh, might imperil their future and the second aspect then is just that I think being a teenager, it's kind of, it's a moment of plasticity in your life where different things you could do, like really can make a difference for like your whole kind of long-term trajectory. So it was, I was 17 when I decided to study philosophy and it's now, I'm now 35 and I'm still doing it. Uh, whereas if I'd gone and like chosen to do maths or some other, or English or some other subject, then, you know, that would have just impacted the entire course of the rest of my life. In the same way for humanity, I think some of the decisions we make today, um, so decisions about how to handle technologies that could uh, you know, wipe us off the planet, um, or also technologies or social developments that could have a very long-lasting impact, like um, how we handle the rise of artificial intelligence or uh, how we design a first world government if one were to occur, um, that could have an impact you know, I really think like indefinitely into the future. You call it philosophy long-termism. Is That's that... right. So tell us a little bit about what that belief is. So long-termism, it's about three things, really. It's about taking seriously just like how big the future could be and just how great the stakes are in shaping the future. Uh, it's about trying to then look for what are the events or challenges that could occur in our lifetime that could actually have an impact, not just on the present generation, but indefinitely into the future for the future generations to come. And then thirdly, about just trying to take action, to trying to navigate those challenges so that we put humanity onto a better trajectory. When you discuss the threats humanity faces, you make a distinction between the length of our survival or the quantity of life and the quality of those lives. Why is that? Uh, Yeah, so I think you know, I'm a philosopher, so I like distinctions. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think just as a way of categorizing, like, what are the things that could really impact the long term? Well, one thing that could impact the long term is just if we kill ourselves, if we destroy civilization. And so I talk about, you know, the risk of nuclear war has made this familiar for uh, 60 years now, where an all out nuclear war, like, there's at least some chance that could cause the uh, end of civilization. Like, we go back to the industrial technology and some chance that, you know, we just never come back from that. Um, the other, or in the limit, like we could actually just wipe everyone off the planet 
So I think like advances in biotechnology could allow us to create bioweapons of unprecedented destructive power that could, in the worst case, just kill absolutely everyone. Um, and that's like, you know, that's something that lasts forever. Once we're all extinct, we're not coming back from that. Um, but then the, and then but you might think, you know, you might think, well, that would be really bad, but there would be no one around to think of that as bad. Um, perhaps, I don't know, maybe you're like not even that optimistic about how the future is going to go. I discuss those issues and I think, you know, I give grounds for optimism that it really would be a loss to lose out on those future lives. I'm glad those things to you might that. say. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, not so much of a pessimist. And uh, so the other, but even if you thought those things, there's is this other way of impacting the long term, which is about the kind of yeah quality of future lives. So maybe we have a long lasting civilization, but it's a perpetual totalitarian state. That would not be a very that you know that would be dystopian. And avoiding that sort of um, scenario is something that I think everyone can get behind. Most of us are we're now aware of the threat posed by climate change. What are some of the lesser known threats to the future generations? Do you think? Yeah, I think the two biggest. I mean, so once I I started writing this book um, before the COVID pandemic, um, and you know we were really concerned about pandemics since 2014 or even earlier. Um, but I think what's still not known is just like how much worse things could get in the future, because we're creating the ability to design new pathogens, hmm. where um, that could make you know viruses that are far more infectious that are um far more deadly as well and that could mean we like enter an era of regular pandemics not just once in a century but you know could it start happening like once every year or two and um pandemics that are far more deadly where in a sense kind of covid could have been much worse could have been much more lethal could have um, been more transmissible from the outset uh so that's one kind of threat. Um, and then a second is how um, developments in AI could kind of radically transform society, where I think, you know, leading AI labs, what they are trying to do is develop um, artificial intelligence that's not just like narrow, like a tool, like a kind of spreadsheet or something, but instead is like very general, has the um, ability to do many different things as well as or even better than we can, human beings can. And I think there's good arguments for thinking that at that point in time, um, you know, that's going to be just one of the most important inventions that humanity ever makes. And I think there are reasons for thinking that it could lead to a real concentration of power, um, you know, in the hands of a small number of bad actors, potentially. Um, or in the worst case, we could even lose control to the AI systems ourselves. And the future could be governed by, you know, values and goals that seem like utterly alien and valueless to us. So you say that, you know, the kind of threat of AI, you know, how it's going. Do you think we're talking about a future that looks like the Matrix or the Terminator? Um, so I think, I mean, the Matrix uh, has a particularly strange plot line where it's like using people as batteries, I think, or like yeah, power sources. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think that's pretty unlikely because it's like, um, uh, you know, there are just better ways of getting power than feeding people. You know, you've, Especially for advanced, you know, AI systems, they're gonna have, they're gonna be the light. They all figure that fusion or something, and then they can, um, <laughs> then they can be just turning water molecules into abundant, endless power. So I think the matrix is maybe pretty unlikely. 
the Terminator, though, I mean, there's some silly things about the Terminator. So there's like time travel, and it's like a close match between like the robots and the humans. Whereas I think like either like humanity manages to like control AI systems and like build it into kind of the economy in a safe way, um, or we're just gone. Like <laughs> there's not going to be like a close match um, in the same way as like it's not like it was close between like Homo sapiens and the chimpanzees. Like, um, uh, however, there is one aspect of the Terminator that I think is correct, which is or like an important, very important worry, which is that in this, the Terminator universe, they start developing more and more powerful AI systems. And then they create this one that's Skynet, that's like particularly powerful. Skynet realizes that like humanity is a threat to itself um, and therefore takes kind of defensive action, which is to kind of, it's like a kind of kill or be killed scenario. And that actually does just map onto the worry that like many leading AI researchers have, which is that once you created artificially intelligent systems with the, with their own goals, well, they will want to preserve themselves. Um, they will want to pursue those goals, and they might well see um, humanity as like a potential threat to them, like something getting in the way of them. And uh, well, one way to better achieve their goals then is to kind of neutralize that threat. I'm I'm mildly alarmed that you didn't just say no on that one, but, but yes. <laughs> That does all make logical sense. And yeah. so so if we are convinced by your argument that we do want to protect future generations and that I mean a better pod, we kind of take that as our starting goal. So we are pretty convinced. We were we were an easy pers- easily persuadable on that one. Um, you know, whether it be from Terminator or possibly something else. Um, how do we start the process of deciding how to act? So not just the the, the actual decision of what to do but how how do we have that process in which we start thinking through what we should be doing okay yeah thanks so much for asking because i mean because this is a real challenge like there are many many problems in the world many things that impact the long term um how do you prioritize among them and the fact that you know even asking the question like okay of, of all these things how can we do the most good that's like the most important starting point um but yeah what i argue is that we should think in terms of like when we take an action what's the probability that we can make a difference and then secondly like how good or bad <laughs> would the result of that difference be so this is familiar like you know in the book i talk about um two close friends of mine who i was actually living with um in the course of the pandemic livery and igor kurganov and they're professional poker players uh and for their like thinking in bets um is just very kind of commonsensical so uh you if you're thinking like is this a good hand or not you're going to think like what's the probability of getting three of a kind or a straight or the flush um and you know potentially like how much would you win um in the course of that and so similarly when um thinking about like let's say some sort of pandemic protection measure i think we should be thinking like okay what's the probability that you know i'm Help, helping contribute to the development of some kind of safe technology. What's the probability that that's successful? Um, what's the probability, uh, you know, how much of the risk from pandemics does that remove? Um, and how good kind of would that be? And so I think it might be reasonable to think that the risk of a kind of civilization ending pandemic this century is something like, one percent or kind of half a percent so like one in a hundred times we run through civilization that would happen 
And then secondly, like how bad would that be? Well, it would result in the deaths of kind of everyone alive today, which is like just unimaginable tragedy. Um, you know, 8 billion people, um, including everyone you know, everyone you love. Um, and then it would also result in the loss of like all future generations, all future potential as well, which, as I said, is like potentially vast. That's trillions upon trillions of, you know, future lives and joys that wouldn't have happened. Um, and so when we're thinking about, um, yeah, what we should be doing, okay, we've got these different risks. I think the way to think about it is just, or different challenges, you know, what's the magnitude of these challenges? Like, what's the probability that some really cat catastrophic event happens as a result? Because um, it really varies. Like, an asteroid hitting us would be a catastrophic event, but I think the chance this century is like one in 100 million or so. Um, in contrast, risks from AI, risks from pandemics are like really quite likely. Um, and then secondly, thinking about like, okay, and how, you know, how bad would that be? So how bad would the end of civilization be? Or how bad would like uh, a perpetual dystopia be? Um, and then you can use that to start to prioritize among these different challenges. Are there some surprising conclusions that you come to once you start using that as a tool to make your decisions? Um, I think one surprising conclusion is just that the things that get the most um, attention in the news um, or like in kind of public conversation are not necessarily the highest priorities where, um, you know, we talk, mentioned climate change and climate change is this enormous challenge. Um, it's going to, you know, even if we do well on it, and I'm currently feeling kind of optimistic, um, you know, it's still going to result in like millions of people dead. It's going to still result in like major kind of geophysical impacts on the world. Um, but there are issues that are just really not kind of part of mainstream discussion, um, like the risk of engineered pandemics or like, like the risk of kind of, um, human level artificial intelligence. Um, or even the risk of kind of World War III as well, which I talk about in the book. And the fact that this isn't getting as much play in the kind of media doesn't mean it's not important. Um, and I think when you take seriously both the arguments for worrying about these things um, and look at kind of, you know, the opinions of kind of expert forecasters as well, then you get the conclusion that I think these issues are at least as important and often just radically, radically more neglected. Coming up, can one person really make a difference? Did you know you can get the big issues, award-winning journalism through your door every week? As a Better Pod listener, you can sign up to get a four-week subscription to the best in news, politics and culture for just £12. And we'll even throw in a stylish tote bag for free. Go to bigissue.com slash bigpod to find out more. Looking at the challenges we face today, I know we, we touched on climate change and um, AI. What do you think are the best actions are that we can take for uh, our future generations? Uh, yeah, so I think there are many. Um, so I think on an individual level, um, the two biggest things that you can do are firstly thinking about how do you spend your money? So in particular, I think donations are like, extraordinarily powerful way of doing good where you know normally when people think of like oh ethical living they think about changing their consumption so flying less or not having kids or recycling 
Whereas I think like your donations can have like much bigger impact because what you can do with your donations is just target it to the very most effective organizations, the ones that focus on the most important thing run by like the most like, you know, talented, hardworking people. Um, and so I, you know, way back in 2009, I set up an organization called Giving What We Can. It encourages people to give at least 10% of their income to the organizations that they believe will do the most good. And we have like a whole bunch of recommended charities in areas like global health and development, like these risks, like AI and pandemics, as well as like climate change. Um, and yeah, that's just something I think like, um, you know, most people can do. Like if you find, if you live in Great Britain, then uh, you're probably in the richest 10% of the world's population. You might not you might not feel that day to day, but um, actually just being born into a rich country means you're like globally speaking very well off. And that means your money can just have a huge impact. And so, yeah, we have these recommended charities on givingwhatwecan.org. And then the second thing that people can do on an individual level is, um, you know, decide what to do with your career as well. And uh, especially important maybe for young people thinking about what to do. And we have recommendations there on 80,000hours.org. Um, which is kind of sister organization to giving what we can, which uh, tries to provide in-depth advice um, with follow-up coaching on, you know, how you can do as much good as possible um, with your career. And then from a kind of global perspective, like what are the things we actually want to be pushing on? I mean, within climate change, I think clean technology. Um, so global spending on, you know, clean tech innovation, it's like less than considerably less than 10 billion pounds per year. Like we could increase that a lot. With focused effort as a globe, we could kind of double that. And that is a way of just having an enormous kind of global impact where take a single country like Germany, um, you know, it single-handedly kind of underwrote the entire solar industry for about a decade. The reason why solar panels are so cheap is like insignificant part thanks to Germany. Um, and that by like funding and like subsidizing that innovation, that's a benefit like the whole world kind of gets on board with. In contrast, if the Jeff Germany had just been focused on reducing its own emissions, you know, it only contributes a few percent to global emissions. So that would have been like a, you know, comparatively small impact. Um, and then the other big thing I'll kind of highlight is, yeah, certain sorts of technology again to protect against the next pandemic. So um, uh, far ultraviolet lighting of a particular spectrum, for example, can like, it can kind of irradiate and sterilize the microbes in a, um, uh, yeah, in a room um, while not harming people. And if we invest in technology, we can get that, we can start, you know, making light bulbs that produce that sort of light um, much more cheaply. And if we could install them all around the world, then we could, you know, almost guarantee we don't get a pandemic again while at the same time eliminating all respiratory infections. You would never get a cold again. And uh, that's something like we could be contributing to now. Do you think one person can can they really make a difference? Um, I think absolutely one person can make a difference. And we see that kind of throughout history. And, you know, not just the people like you know well. It's not just kind of Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and um, other people. Uh, but yeah, like individuals, I mean, by for example, donating to effective causes, then, you know, perhaps you're a small part, but you are a meaningful part to this like larger effort and the larger effort makes an enormous difference. Um, or by like individual career choice um, or like individual campaigning you do as well. 
um, sometimes you you are like the decisive person, and some you know major event just wouldn't have happened without you. More often, though, like perhaps you're part of like a thousand people working together or ten thousand people working together, but you're having some really huge impact, and you take that impact and divide by a thousand, it's still like a really meaningful impact. And so, yeah, I think like everyone has the power to make it do an enormous amount of good in their lives. Thank you so much for talking to us about the book. Every week on the podcast, we ask each of our guests the same three questions to help our listeners act today for a better tomorrow. So Kat, will you do the honours? Of course. What's one bit of advice you wish you'd known earlier? Uh, I think the number one bit of advice I'd say is like, be less afraid. Um, so, And I think this is kind of pretty widely, uh, widely true, where... You know, before setting up Giving What We Can, for example, as a nonprofit, um, I was just like, how on earth would you possibly set up a organization that's like not something that I could ever do in my life? That's something that like the adults do, you know, like people who have <laughs> um, really have their lives together. Whereas really like what happens, what is setting up an organization? It's just like creating this fiction. Like it's just saying like, hey, this sort of thing exists now and I'm going to start talking about it. And then everyone like nods ahead and believes that it is. And it's like, then it's just, you've kind of spoken its way into reality. And so, and that's a lot easier than it might seem kind of from the outset. And I think people are often like, oh, I'm really intimidated. Like, you know, you get this a lot with like mathematics as well. Like, oh, these, num- these symbols are like really scary. And it's like, <laughs> normally once you start getting into it, it's like, okay, it's much less scary than it seems. Or learning a new language or like some new career just... Over and over again, I think, like, mm-hmm. you know, having the bravery to, like, actually go and do something is, like, half the battle. What's one piece of art that gives you hope for the future? There's one piece of art, the prologue and the promise, um, which uh, I just love. And it's just, like, it really moves me. Um, I think it was actually a mosaic or, like, a kind of mural in a Disney um, kind of park. But the it has, it's this, like, landscape and represented in the landscape is like all of kind of history actually and it's like hard to see like to begin with you just think oh this is a cool beautiful landscape it starts off it's got like the parthenon and it's got uh you know the pyramids and then it moves on to like the eiffel tower and like hot air balloons and so on so like you're seeing history but then it goes into the future then it's got this like beautiful kind of science fiction like giant kind of statues reaching towards the sky and kind of um you know, like spaceships and like representations of future technology. And it's got a family just like looking out at this kind of vista. And it, yeah, just really makes me feel optimistic of like, wow, think of everything we've achieved over the last uh, few thousand years of civilization. And just like even looking a few centuries, um, let alone a few thousand or millions or billions of years into the future, well, we could achieve some like really incredible things. So I find that very inspiring. Yeah, and it's by Robert McCall. And finally, what's one thing our listeners could do today to make tomorrow better? Uh, I think I'll just come back to the idea of donations and just say the single best thing you can do kind of immediately is just to start um, making donations to the most effective uh, nonprofits. And so the number one thing I would say is like, go to just givingwhatwecan.org. 10% might seem like a lot. Start off with something smaller, like 2%, 1%, I don't know. Um, and then maybe like try and build from there and start donating to these most effective nonprofits. And that's just a, a, a huge impact that you can have and anyone can do it.
Thanks for listening to BetterPod. If you'd like to support us, please subscribe, leave a review and tell your friends. We're relying on word of mouth to bring people into our conversation and to help us all discover how we can act today for a better tomorrow. You can keep up with all the big issues reporting at bigissue.com, where you can also discover how to find your local vendor.